From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples, bringing you Unconquered with Doc Staples. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing you the best of internet marketing and website development for an affordable price by Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, by Shenandoah Realty in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, and by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida. All right. So I've gone through the game again, the the Boston College game again, in, in significantly more detail than I was able to on that first live watch. Uh, in with you know after which I I did my hot takes, and you know there's always room for revision after the hot takes, uh, which I think there 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 were some things that I didn't notice or didn't see as well on that first time through, but. Uh, some things definitely uh, I haven't changed my opinion on some stuff. I, I think it, I think some stuff got clear, particularly on the defensive side on the uh, more detailed watches uh, just with what some of those busts were. And I actually did the first uh, film session breakdown via Patreon that uh, I've done in quite a long time uh, going through the various defensive breakdowns that they had on long yardage, giving up all those big plays uh, most of the time on second and third and long and uh, looking at what they did. So a few conclusions on that. And by the way, there's one of those where I'm still not, not sure. I think actually I say on the, on, on the video that they, they're probably in quarters. I've watched it probably five more times since recording it. And it looks like they might be rotating to us to a middle field close to, a, to a three look, match three look, which, you know, they were in a lot of match three this game. So may have, may have gotten that wrong on the one thing doesn't actually materially impact the, uh, the analysis because of how that actually worked, uh, in, in terms of what actually happened, but worth noting, um, sometimes it's hard to, to tell unless you actually have the call sheet. And whereas for some years I actually had the call sheet, uh, I no longer have access to that. So I'm doing the best I can to figure that out by looking at what I have. So anyway, um, so a few things that really stood out. Number one is I think Boston College had a really, really good plan for this game. That stood out much more on uh, my secondary analysis uh, and more on the offensive game plan, Boston College's offensive game plan to face Florida State's defense than anything. I mean, they they had a really, really good plan. Uh, they they ran a lot of stuff that they had not yet shown. I mean, I I watched uh, their previous stuff, and they 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 didn't do a number of the things that they did uh, that they that they showed against Florida State. They came out, and this was as I said in the uh, in the pregame analysis and the uh, prediction stuff and all of that that this would be a kitchen sink game for them, and that they that they're a well coached team. Well, aside from the penalties, they're a well coached team. Well, they did that, and they they did a lot of things to isolate players that that aren't always the best at diagnosis for Florida State. They went after some vulnerabilities that are there on this defense. First and foremost, at safety and at linebacker, they really didn't test the the corners all that much, and they mostly neutralized the defensive line with extra blockers essentially. And the thing is they also are really good inside. I mean, mahogany's 
you know, he's an NFL player at, at guard and he had his way on the interior. And frankly, it looked like they out physical Florida State up front, which is remarkable because LSU sure didn't. So uh gives you, you know, something to think about in terms of Boston College up front. But uh but anyway, so some of the stuff that they did, and and again, I'll defer you to the to the video itself. But some of the stuff that they did, the main stuff is that they they used some quad formation and then they would actually, you know, have the back go to the quad side. So they'd have five guys to one side and they'd go unbalanced with one guy that was ineligible. Uh, and they'd actually have the two outside wide receivers. The second guy was ineligible, but but still lined up out wide. And they did this to essentially create numbers on the backside for the quarterback running game. And initially that created a lot of confusion through the whole first half. Basically that created a lot of confusion for the FSU defense who just didn't fit this very well. And what that was taking advantage of is that backside backer who is essentially left alone to what's a true nub side. There's not even a tight end over there. You have just a center and then two, then your, your guard and your tackle on that side, you, you still have to have three defenders handle the front work for that. And what, what kept happening is the backer was, was basically his eyes were bad because he was following over to the five receiver side. But the thing you have to know as a defense is one of those guys has to be ineligible, which means that that backer is not in play there. He, he can just lock in on the, on the run support, but they kept covering the number two guy out there and he wasn't, he wasn't eligible. So now BC did eventually get called on it for a uh, ineligible downfield when that number two receiver wandered upfield a little bit. Uh, but yeah, that caused some confusion for the linebackers. That caused some confusion for the safeties. And they, they found ways to put the safeties in some binds as well. Uh, another thing is that without Dent on the field, you know, my, and I'd stated this previously, uh, you know, the, the concerns about Kevin Knowles at, at, at the safety position, I think, manifested pretty pretty heavily in this one. He had a rough game. He had a rough outing. A uh, couple of plays. If he just makes the play, you're off the field with a tackle for loss, no problem. And it turns into a 30 or 40-yard gain because he just doesn't make the play. And, yeah, I think I think you're going to have to really strongly consider. If, Dent does, if Dent's not back out there, I think you really have to consider given – a guy like Hussey, who's a really smart guy, giving him a, a look, maybe even as early as Clemson. And certainly after the bye week. Now, the hope is, you know, if you've got Dent out there, then, you know, that helps solve some of that. Though, I mean, Dent has not been as good as what, you know, I think anybody would hope the last couple of years, given his his overall talent level. But he's been a whole lot better than what we saw from Knowles out there. Uh, I didn't think Shaheen Brown had his best outing either, although it was just generally quiet. He didn't just have a bunch of busts and miss a bunch of plays. He was just quiet and really didn't do anything there. But they they took advantage of Knowles multiple times. Uh, just, yeah, they're going to have to figure that one out. Uh, both of the backers also, with what they kept doing, they would they would use jet motion. They would use a lot of outside zone play action with some boot coming off of it. And the backers just were flat out too aggressive. They just over pursued against the run at times and just very poor eye discipline at times from the, and actually not just at times, pretty much the whole game from all of the linebackers, not named uh, 
not not named Tatum Bethune. And you know, they've got to they've got to figure out how they can get better eye discipline from that position. I mean, you got guys that are veterans here. You can't let that happen. And I I really don't know what you do at this point if guys are just not fully buying into the whole eye discipline thing. But they've got to play with much better eye discipline. I mean, Clemson's going to give them all sorts of eye candy to, you know, pull their eyes over here while everything's actually going back over here. They're going to have to be really disciplined with their eyes this week, or you're going to see a lot of the same problems. I did think they did a little more edge blitzing than I noticed on the live watch. A couple of them actually were, were Knowles coming down on the edge blitz from the field safety position and just blowing it. So, you know, I, I did criticize that I thought they needed to, to field blitz and edge blitz a little bit more. Maybe some of it is just you don't edge blitz with that guy. You need to blitz, edge blitz with somebody else. And, uh, you know, that's a factor. But I still think they... One thing I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand on, I still think they, they use the spy too much. Uh, I don't like how they use the, the spy. I think, you know, my take on this just defensively, my philosophy on this, especially given what Florida State's personnel is and how they've executed this in the recent years, is leave the spy stuff for the movies and just play your defense and don't mess with it. I mean, one of the downsides of doing all the spy stuff that they're doing is it essentially, le- and I guess, let me back up. My complaint about the spy stuff is both about their execution of it and just in terms of the philosophy of it. I don't like having a player who is essentially shadowing or mirroring a quarterback five yards from the line of scrimmage or four yards from the line of scrimmage. Cause essentially he's in no man's land. He's doing no good in terms of downfield coverage. If you have him drop to 10 yards, at least he's making, he's taking away some of that intermediate stuff over the middle. And then he can come downhill to the quarterback all he wants. So just play him as a rat. Just just have him drop. Let him play as a as an as a rat and drop under and tell him that his primary stuff is dropping under those intermediate, those short and intermediate crossers. Let him play there as a rat. And then if the quarterback escapes, then he's he's trying to chase the quarterback from depth. That that's my approach. If you're gonna do any of that, what I don't like to see. And, and if you go back and you watch the LSU game, I said this in the in the Hot Takes podcast, go back and watch Perkins in the LSU game and you see him four yards off the line of scrimmage just shadowing Jordan Travis and he's just standing there and he does nothing for the defense. Essentially, Jordan Travis, just by the threat of his legs and because they're they're using their best player as a spy, essentially they've just said, okay, well, you know, you can have our best player and completely neutralize him here. That doesn't do you any good. And then if you have backers that do a terrible job actually choosing their angles and, you know, easily getting blocked in that spiral because they're not coming from depth, it makes it worse. And then if you're doing some of the other stuff that they did, I mean, there, there's at least one where they, they stunted Patrick Payton and they put him in the spy position over where the center had been. They sort of stunted him back and then they had him as that extra spy there. Why? He's not doing anything there either. Instead, have him, you know, have him run the big loop. Fine. Have him loop fully around the other two players and then come downhill down in that a gap. And if your other players are are rushing in their lanes correctly, then at least he's 
he's causing some some difficulty for the quarterback as he you know breathes down his neck and that length gets up close. If he's just bouncing on his feet, you know, two yards past the line of scrimmage, he's doing nothing. You've essentially taken him out of the play. I hate it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it anymore. It drives me crazy. And there were too many of those. But like I said, they did do some of the edge rush stuff and some of the, you know, fire zone type stuff that I wanted to see. I just want to see them do it more. And I want to see none of the spy stuff that they do. I just don't like the way they coach it. I don't like the way it's run. Uh, and I think it's, I, I think Florida state's uh, personnel does it really poorly. And even if you've got a, a Harold Perkins, I think it, it's, it's a waste of your personnel. Just play the defense. And if you want that kind of thing, use him as a rat. You know, this is that, un, uh, that, that player who does not have a, a, a distinct coverage responsibility and can, can kind of float in that area, drop him back from that backer spot. Let him be in that in that zone in that zone in that you know ten yards off, rather than playing close to the line of scrimmage as a spy. I hate that stuff. I also hate the mush rushing, and there was too much of that. A little bit less than I remembered, but still too much. Get after the quarterback. Let your athletes clean it up. If the if the guy breaks breaks past your athletes on the defensive line, let your athletes clean it up from from range and keep it from turning into big plays. But you just can't not get pressure against guys that are less, especially against guys that are less experienced. So uh, I do think, you know, they did run a bunch of match three and middle of the field closed stuff. And to me, if you're going to do that, don't use the extra guy as a spy. Don't let him bounce around the line of scrimmage. Use him to get downhill and get at the quarterback. And you're, you're making, you're at least using all 11 players. And my impression was that there were times where they were only using 10. So. Yeah. Next thing, looking at the uh, looking at the offense. This uh, one thing that was confirmed on on my second watch, and you know, more more uh, replay oriented watch, uh, was that they definitely ran a lot more zone in this game. So a lot more split zone, a lot more. They ran actually a couple outside zones doing a little bit more. And I do think that's helpful for Benson. I think that's something that he, he he's a little more natural doing, but I don't think he's really seeing everything right now. And that also uh, is an issue in the, in the running game because he's leaving yards on the field. And I, I, and I think that's, I mean, I said that in hot takes and I think uh, that's something that, that the second watch reinforced as well. I, I really want to see Hill. And I think Kaziah Holmes also probably should get more, get more of a look here coming up as they uh, need, they really need to have a complimentary back who can help. I, I still think Benson is really actually a better, is actually better as a complimentary back once the other backs are starting to get rolling and then Benson can come on and finish things. That's I, I really think that's his best role and I think they need to, to really seriously consider that. Hard part about that is selling it and you know so much right now, you've got so many mouths to feed and so many guys that you want to keep happy and guys that you recruited back from the NFL, that sort of thing that, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to make some, you're going to have to make some unpopular decisions. I think as a coaching staff to, de- to determine who needs to be in what roles. And some guys might not like the roles that they're diminished to in certain cases, or that the feature role that they were hoping to have is a little bit less, but I think that's what you got to do. Now I do think also watching this over and over again, 
I think a lot of the running game right now without the dash element from the quarterback, I say dash, that's the the call for all of Florida State's runs uh, can be made into a read play where the quarterback has an option to pull. Pretty much everything right now is with a couple very rare exceptions against these teams. Florida State's taking the same approach Clemson did when they had Deshaun Watson and, and, uh, and the Elf is they would run the football just standard running the football until they got to the big games and then they'd run their 11-man stuff and they'd add the quarterback run element. Mike Norvell's doing the same thing. So right now, they're running all this stuff without the dash call, without the dash tag added on that allows Jordan Travis to to pull it. So essentially, it's just you know inside zone without inside zone read or power without it being power read. There's a variety of different things that you can do off of that that I think will open up the running game a good bit more. So against Clemson, I fully expect to see those turn into options. And there were a number number of plays against Boston College where they didn't really respect Jordan Travis on the backside. They knew he wasn't going to keep it. So they're collapsing down from that edge. Well, if Clemson does that, Travis will keep it, and you're going to look at a 30-yard run, 40-yard run. That's that's the way that's going to work. So that's something else to consider is that they're running their running game right now. They're running the ball without the quarterback run threat because they just don't want to have him out and running a, a bunch for obvious reasons. So I do think that as they add that element in games where uh, in, in bigger games or against in games where they're more threatened, I think that'll that'll open things up a good bit. Now, you might ask, like, look, they only won by two in this game. Why wouldn't they do it? Well, they were up by 21. It was 31 to 10. There's really not a whole, there was not a time in this game where, you know, up until the last two drives where you look at it and you're like, oh man, they got it. You know, they could get beat here. By the time you got to halftime, it was like, okay, Florida State's starting to impose their will. You got to middle of the third quarter and it's like, okay, this game's over. And then it wasn't. So, yeah, it makes sense that they would take that approach. But against Clemson, I expect to see quarterback run game as a as a as an important element from quarter one. That's that's what you're going to see. And that'll help open up some things for Benson and others on the front end, because all of a sudden some of the cutbacks that aren't there right now. Those those are there after a couple quarterback runs. So and if they're not there, then the quarterback run is going to be there. So I think they're going to they're going to get that. Um Note that the fumble by Toa Feely, that play actually probably scores. It's probably a 90-yard touchdown if Keon Coleman makes the block correctly on the edge there. Now, I'm actually, so as a former receiver, I'm going to give Coleman the benefit of the doubt here on on what he was thinking. I've seen some people that have called, called into question his effort there on that play, that he just didn't want to block. And I think actually what happened is he expected that if he took the outside release there, that the, that the corner would have, would run with him and that the corner would just, he'd be able to run off the corner. And you do this a good bit as a, as a, as a, a wide receiver against certain coverages, it's actually more effective to run the guy off than to try to block him. And it's certainly, you know, easier at times. And what I, what it looked like to me is he's trying to take the forced outside release just to get the guy's head turned and get him chasing him. 
and the ball got out just a little bit too early in the corners reading it and, and, and looking back at the quarterback and never got turned. And so, you know, he, he made a bad call. You know, it should have been a block all the way, but I, I think that's what he was thinking. And you can see as soon as the, the, the corner starts coming downhill, you can see Keon Coleman kind of holding his hand up like, oh, dang it. Like, mm, you know, missed it. And then, of course, you know, that's the guy that gets a clean hit on the ball and, and you know, turns into a, a scoop and score. But that that's how close that game was to being just flat out over. You know, that goes for 90. That, that game's over right there. That goes for even 40 or 50. That game's over. Turns into a, a scoop and score. All of a sudden, game on, right? So very different. A few other things here. In terms of the overall flow of the offense, honestly, I would like to see a lot more Marquise and Douglas when they're when they're in their their twelve packages, when they're in the too tight stuff. I think he's just a much better blocker than what you've got out there. And he you know, if you're gonna have guys out there right now, I think they need to be really good at what they do. And Marquise and Douglas is pretty good at one thing, and that's blocking. And he's not he's not nothing as a receiver. I think he's pretty versatile. I mean, he's shown that. To me, I'd like to see him more out, him out there more in your 12 packages, especially toward the middle of the field when you're trying to run the football. And I'd like to see more Destin Hill. I've seen enough of him at the, at the slot receiver position, and you keep seeing him pop open if, you know, when the angles are, are, are open enough, or if you're looking at the all 22, you see him pop open enough to be able to, to say, you know, he's going to, he's going to eventually make some plays. So, and, and, you know, also Winston, Wright, Get him out there as well. I'd like to see those guys in there just a little bit more in, in place of Morlock. Now, Morlock, I think, I think you use Morlock more in the, in the red zone type situations where I think his mismatch ability uh, becomes a bigger factor, but I don't think you're getting, you're maximizing your offense with him and Jaheim Bell out there together as much as what you'd hoped. Uh, just because you're not as balanced as you'd like to be. And I think if you're going to run a lot of 12, you're going to be more balanced and actually more of a threat if uh, Marquiston Douglas is the is the second tight end a good bit more. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what they do there. Um, so I think you're going to get more big plays in the running game and all that from those guys. I think you're going to get more big plays. I think Destin Hill is more of a problem in terms of a big play threat at the slot receiver position than Morlock is as a as a a tight end or H back. So again, I think that's that that's something else that they're going to have to consider. Uh, I also think, you know, the, the the offense has has bogged down a little bit partly because I don't think Jordan Travis is first of all I don't think he's seeing things especially well. Uh, he missed some guys in this game. He missed some guys in terms of in immediate reads a uh, couple times when he could have gone to Keon Coleman underneath and he didn't a couple times when he, you know, it's an immediate to the back throw and, you know, don't, don't force it downfield when, you know, you're, you're going to, you're not going to go broke here. Just get it to the back or get it to your, to your tight end or whoever. And, and, you know, win win taking a profit. Uh, there's too many, too many of those right now where, and it's understandable. I mean, he's trying to force the ball downfield to Johnny and Keon in, in many of these cases, most of these cases, and it's understandable that you want to get the ball to those guys. 
but I do think he needs to play within himself more, get the ball out more quickly and just go through his, his basic reads. And, and I don't think he's the same player when his legs aren't involved either. I mean, I think, you know, he, he, he becomes a different quarterback to have to defend when his legs become more of a threat. So I do think that's another factor, but I also don't think he's locating the ball, especially well, he's not throwing it well. So, you know, he's, he's had some, he's had some pretty bad misses. You know, he had the, he had the one miss where, you know, he's, so third down and he he takes the vertical option on the back shoulder to Johnny. It's just a bad throw. I mean, I don't, I don't actually mind that decision. You've got the first down at the back and the flat, if you want it, and it's probably the right call. I mean, that's where I'd want him to throw as the quarterback, but I understand you. You feel like that's an 80, 20 with Johnny. Okay. Well, you know, just locate it, but he's not, he didn't locate it. It was a poor throw. You got the post route that he just airmailed for Johnny. I mean, there's been, there's been a few of these, the, the, the what should have been an interference on the uh, fade route to Keon Coleman, another throw that just was not in the right spot, it's just missing his locations, and you know to some degree I, you know I hate to say but I I've said this said this for a while I mean I I've broken this down uh, I haven't done the full video analysis of it but you know one of these days I probably should I'm not really a fan of how they've actually coached the throwing motion, um, you know they they kind of coach him to really pull across the body, uh, with the, with the arm. So kind of throw that, that, uh, for the right hander, that left shoulder open and really kind of come across and, uh, you know, pulled down and through the ball. That's biomechanically an inefficient way to throw it. And typically you're going to get balls that are going to sail. They're going to go a little high. Uh, and then other times you're going to get balls that are going to float a little bit. Uh, out of that, because that's what you call slashing. And they're kind of coaching guys to slash a little bit uh, instead of extending the arm down the field. And I want to see extension. There's an old, old saying that, that people who know how to coach throwing uh, really well will say to their quarterbacks on this. And that's out, not down, out, not down. You want to extend down the field and not pull the arm down or across the arm. Is, is eventually just gravity is going to take the arm down and across, but it's after the arm has fully extended down the field. And Travis at times is not getting full extension. And when you don't get full extension, that's when you see that ball float. You're going to see the ball sail. And he's getting both of those right now. He needs to tighten it up, needs to get that arm extending down the field to the target. And I just don't think they work on that very well. But that's, again, that's my you know, my view as a, a guy who's been a, you know, I've coached throwers a lot. I've been a private quarterback coach. So, you know, that's, that's my particular philosophy and there are different ways of, of thinking about this, but I, I think mine's right. Okay. So now we get to some final thoughts for this. Uh, I think after taking a closer look at this, I would consider this a true trap game in a lot of ways. For one, uh, I think, I do think Florida state came into this game determined to work on specific things and not really having a bunch of wrinkles ready to roll to, you know, to do anything cute in this game in, in, in terms of the offensive side, especially, but they're basically just trying to run their base stuff. And then a few things that they, they felt like they needed to work on, especially some of the zone run stuff. I think that's just basically how they came into it. Not going to use Jordan's legs. Not going to do too much, you know, in terms of the passing game. Just going to keep keep working on this stuff. And also try to spread the ball 
to the guys that need to touch it to be happy. And I do think the offense, and I've said this now for a couple of weeks, I do think the offense has kind of looked like they're trying to keep a lot of guys happy. And I said this in the off season, like, look, you got a lot of mouths to feed and a lot of guys that you brought in who, you know, need to touch the, touch the rock. How are you going to keep all those guys happy? Winning helps, but it does get tricky because sometimes you just have to, you know, the matchups dictate that you go here or the reads dictate that you go here. And this guy's just not going to touch it very much. And, you know, Keon Coleman had one touch plus the, the punt uh, catches on, on Saturday. I mean, he, he can't be happy about that, although he had some opportunities and the one, you know, uncalled pass interference among them. Uh, but, you know, I think, I think right now that that's part of the reason that the offense is not as cohesive. It doesn't feel as cohesive where one thing's building on another as it might, because it's like, Oh, it's, you know, it's uh Jaheim's time. It turned to touch the ball. Oh, we got to make sure we get, uh, you know, Benson, his, his, his carries here. And Oh yeah, we got to make sure we get Johnny the ball, you know, this many times. Although I, I said in the pregame that I would, I would have force fed Johnny the ball early in the game. So, you know, in that sense, I actually agreed with that part. Uh, oh, it's time to make sure Morlock gets his and, you know, et cetera. So, you know, I think that's something that, especially in these big games, you're going to have to, to treat it a little bit differently. And I do think that they will. I mean, you saw in the uh, LSU game, I didn't get that feeling the same way. Uh, I think they, I think they were very much like, okay, here's the reads. Let's go down and, you know, we got this mismatch, keep going to it. That sort of thing. Um, but beyond that, I do think they got out prepared by a coaching staff that, that treated this as a kitchen sink game rather than as a, you know, a, as something like a, a glorified scrimmage. And uh, then, you know, they physically overwhelmed that team in the middle part of the game. And then they just didn't finish. You know, they, they didn't finish because of a variety of, of fundamental and uh, preparatory breakdowns. So I, I do think, by the way, that, that a lot of guys out there were sick. If you looked at some of these guys' performances, you know, week over week, I, I think there's good reason to think that, that not all those guys were healthy out there. And you can kind of isolate specific guys in particular, like that guy just doesn't look like himself. There were a number of those guys. And again, the, one of the other main takeaways here is I think Jordan Travis has to play within the offense first and foremost, and really uh, trust his eyes and trust his arm uh, and just do things the way that he knows to do them. And also, you know, the offense changes when his legs get involved. So those are, those are the main takeaways, you know, coming out of that game just summarizing the the main stuff uh, along with a lot of the defensive stuff in terms of, you know, I think there needs to be some, there need to be some solutions at the safety position and, you know, they're going to have to get some things cleaned up with eye discipline at linebacker in particular. But in general, they just need to clean stuff up on defense and scrap anything that has spy in it on the defensive side, as far as my my, my take on this. All right. All that said, we are now going to get into the uh, mailbag portion of this. I've got a few that uh, I've been holding on to here. Uh, one couple that came in late and then a couple that were, were there game day. So go ahead and go through these. Merrill uh, writes, does Dugans need to take the wide receiver room and have an extensive walkthrough of how to make it look like a natural rub? So this was shortly after the Morlock uh, conversion where... Keon Coleman got called for uh, offensive pass interference thing is on that one. And I, I put this up on, on Twitter or X uh, 
right after it happened that that actually wasn't Keon Coleman's fault. That was not, that was really on Morlock because that's a slip screen and that has to be caught at or behind the line of scrimmage. And you just have the wide receiver block all the way on that. And Morlock just drifted. That's on him. So yeah, I do think, you know, given the, the OPIs, the first couple of weeks that, it, you know, it's good to, to go through a little bit of that in one of the periods, maybe indie periods uh, this week. But this one, this one was not that. This one was just a, a the a lack of attention to detail from the from the tight end. He's got to he's got to stay flat down the line of scrimmage so that that is not OPI. That's the point. Anyway, next one. Uh, Jez Taylor says, um, "We know that Norvell wants to use twelve personnel. What should the counter be if the defense loads the box and makes it hard to throw over the middle because of the two tight ends set?" I know the first response would be to take the one-on-ones outside, but what would the second pitch be if that's not working? Well, first of all, I don't think that if you've got Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson, that the one-on-ones are just going to stop working. Uh, you're going to you're going to have one of those guys if you're if he's going to get a one-on-one if one of the, if both have one-on-ones, one of those guys is going to win, and you take that win. Now you need to be varied in how you do it. They need to have some two-way goes. You need to run slants. You need to run goes. You need to run back shoulder. You need to run some digs. There are a lot of things that you can do with that. Uh, some of the things in in uh, twelve personnel that you can do. And again, what they're doing with this twelve personnel, one of the things they like about it is that they can put both guys in the slot. They can put one guy in the slot, one guy you know in the in sort of a sniffer or inline position. There's a variety of things that they can do. But you start to vary some of that. If you're going to have both guys in the box and they're just loading the box there because of that, and then you've got your two outside receivers, with those being your two outside receivers, you actually feel really good about it. I think you can start to do uh, some post-climb stuff where one guy goes on a post route and the other is coming across the field on a on a climb or, or you know deep crossing route. And you can have the uh, the tight ends do a, a couple of different things off of that. So, you know, you might have one of them on a shallow across the field and the other one, you know, sort of set up as a hank route, as a outlet, that sort of thing. There's a variety of different things you can do with that, but uh, there's not much reason why a defense that's loading the box is going to take away throws downfield between the numbers or between the hashes. You still should be able to get that from those looks, especially if your tight ends are good receivers and are fluid players and Florida state has those. So you just have to be able to, to, to actually complete those passes when you get those opportunities. Now, I do think also though, that the bigger factor here is when teams are loading the box, I think they're not getting quite as much quality blocking from one in particular. I I don't think Morlock is doing a great job in the box as a blocker right now. So I think, at that point, it mu- if you're going to do that stuff and let them load the box and you still think you're, you're going to be able to run the ball against those looks, then you're going to need to be able to do some some quarterback run game. And you're also going to need to probably have Marquise and Douglas out there a good bit more as that second tight end. So, yeah. Anyway, um, next next question it's from James. Uh, cursory rewatching uh, Knowles at safety seems to be in over his head, mainly the physicality resp- required. Oh, how I miss Jamie. Do we ride with Kelvin uh, with uh, with Ke- uh, with Knowles with Kevin Knowles because overall of overall experience or say screw it and go through the growing pains with a talented freshman? Oh boy, you uh, were reading my mail in the uh, first part of this. 
and and my conclusions as I was going through the uh, the 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 film breakdown. But yeah, I think first of all, you you can't know until you unless you've seen these guys in practice. So if you have, if all your talented freshmen are just busting a bunch in practice and doing, you know, doing stuff that's going to give up touchdowns over their head in practice, then you got to stick with, with Knowles. You have to, but if you're getting close to the same overall level in practice from the younger guy, I think at this point you really seriously need to give a guy like Hussey some reps and see if maybe he can take that, take that opportunity away, take that role away. Uh, I just, so going back to the, to the off season, I just really wish that ultimately they had, they had moved Azaria Thomas and, and look, he's played great at corner when he's been in there at corner. I really, I pushed, I, I pushed during the off season because of this lack of, lack of safety depth depth. I mean, I talked about this. I, I spent like a full episode on this, on why I thought they should seriously look at Azaria Thomas as moving him to safety potentially as a starter at safety just so that they can get their best five defensive backs on the field. Because I think having him out there, not as a, as a dime player, which he's had, uh, he's done well in that role, but as a safety in Knowles role, I think he's just a much better player. And you know, they, this defense is any quarters coverage base defense and they run the, the, the base coverage that, that, they run that Fuller runs is cover seven. And when you're running cover seven, which is a quarters family, it's a match quarters, it's quarters family coverage. Your safeties have to have to do a lot. There's a whole lot of responsibility on your safeties. And they've got, I mean, the thing is they've got to be really good in coverage. They've got to be great in communication, great in communication. Uh, they've got to be reliable in terms of, uh, of, zone type stuff in terms of matching up. And then they've got to be outstanding in terms of tackling and run support. And it's that last part that I think Knowles is just not equipped to handle. He's just not big enough. That's part of it. Whereas I think Azaria is excellent at all of that. So I, I just think they moved the right, the wrong guy there. I, I, and you know, I was waiting to see once they put Knowles there, but I'm now convinced more than ever that that was the case. And they should have put Azaria there Regardless of feelings, I think they'd be a better football team if they basically sold Azaria on making the same move that Jalen Ramsey did when Jalen Ramsey was waiting on an outside corner starting spot. And then you move Azaria back to outside corner next year and let him ball out there just like uh, just like Jalen did at Florida State. I mean, I think that's what you have to do, but it's too late for that at this point. Um, so all that said, if I mean, ideally you get Dent back. I'm not optimistic about that coming into the Clemson game. And if you don't have him back, I think you, you really have to have one of the freshmen. And I think that would be Hussey or Hussey. I think that would be Hussey uh, who would have to be most likely that guy. And I think you need to have him ready to go. Yeah. Um, last one here. This is from Bert. Uh, I totally agree with everything you said about Treshawn Ward in the hot takes podcast. It was evident that we missed him in the LSU game and evident again yesterday. You've said for a while that you want Hill to be the number two running back and get more carries. Agreed. But why aren't they featuring him more as the number two running back? They clearly trusted Treshawn more uh, more than they currently trust Hill. Yeah, I think that's true. 
Um, and I'm frustrated actually by the running back usage so far. Very frustrated. I think that's one of the things that slowed this offense down the most. I, I think personnel decisions at tight end and at running back have negatively impacted the running game all year so far. And that goes all the way back to the LSU game. And, you know, I think a part of this is that it's evident that they like to affiliate running back a lot more than I do, frankly. And, you know, I've heard for a couple of years now that they really, really like to And this is nothing against to I think he's a really good football player and, you know, great, great guy from and, and great teammate from all I understand. But as I understand it from, from what I was told, before they actually got Benson, my understanding was that the plan was for Toa Feely to basically be stepping into that role as one of the featured guys along with Treshawn Ward. And then they got Benson and he kind of took the third role. And then once Ward went out, that second role has basically gone to Toa Feely instead of one of the other guys. And I think that's a mistake. I think they're wrong about, about that usage. And I think I think Toafili is more of a slot receiver than he is a running back. I think he's a, a third down back and more of a gadget player than he is a true running back. And, you know, the thing is, what I do know is Norvell really likes players that create mismatches. You see that with Morlock, you see that with Toafili. He's gonna typically favor guys in his offense that create potential mismatches. So you get a guy like Toafili out there. And he's going to create mismatches in the passing game for linebackers and potentially even safeties. He's a problem in that respect. But my, my issue there is that he is, I, I just don't think he is as he is the consistent true feel of a running back that you get from say a Kaziah Holmes or a Rodney Hill. And I think, you know, for me, for my money, I would like to see the number two rushing carries your first and second down stuff going much more to Hill. And I'd like to see Kazai Holmes a little bit at this point, in addition to Benson. And I think you really need to treat uh, Toa Feely more as a third down guy or a long yardage guy and use him more situationally. (sighs) And this is something where, you know, this is just a place where I think I am on a different page from the, from the coaching staff and from, from Norvell and look, Norvell knows a lot more football than I do. Doesn't mean he's always right, but he, you know, he does know a lot more football than I do. And he's typically right on a lot of this stuff. I mean, you look at his track record on this stuff and he's, he's got reasons for what he does. Just again, my preference, my decision on this would be a little different. But I do think that the primary reason that you're seeing less Hill and you haven't really seen Kaziah Holmes yet is just because they 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 want Toafili to be in that role. And I just don't think he's going to be as efficient or effective in that role as Treshawn Ward was, because Ward was a true natural running back. And I think I think Hill is closer to that, and I think Kaziah Holmes is also closer to that. Uh and, and CJ Campbell, frankly, is is closer to that. I think any of those three guys I'd rather see as the first and second down change of pace with Benson uh, compared to, to Toa Feely. But we'll see if they end up making that call. Uh, they've de- they've typically been really good on self-scout, and it turned out that when they did get Benson, they said, oh, well, that guy's going to actually take that role, even though we'd initially planned for that to be Toa Feely. So you just don't know what's going to happen. But I think that's, that's where things are and, and why things are the way that they are at this point.
I do hope, you know, I think you're more likely to see success against Clemson if you're dealing with Hill and, uh, you know, maybe Keziah Holmes or somebody like that getting those those secondary carries behind Benson. Uh, and I do think you're going to have more success if you get a little better blocking on the edge from someone like uh, uh, like 89. So we'll see what they end up doing. I do think, again, I, I can't emphasize this enough. I think once you add Travis's legs to things, things change pretty significantly. And Clemson defensively is going to know that. So it's going to be a real interesting one coming up this week. But uh, that's all I got for today. We'll go ahead and wrap there. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank my advertising partners, EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate at shenrealestate.com and the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Garage Makeovers in South Florida. And then, of course, if you have not stopped by the Unconquered Podcast shop at unconqueredpodcast.com, you can buy stickers and all sorts of other gear Go ahead and do that. Always helps support the podcast. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Dave Blair, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Post us on social media and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.